Welcome to my basement, everybody. <laughs> Second episode every, in 2013. Every week you sound the same. It sounds like we could record you <laughs> saying that. <laughs> Welcome to my basement, everybody. Woo! You know what's weird is when people uh, come over and we, we're not recording, I still do that as well. Welcome to my home, everybody. <laughs> Victor Lucas. That always freaks home. people out. You know, they, the they funny thing, I got You know, last week we had a Wolfman Jack reference on the show. Yeah. And I got a tweet from a guy. I don't remember who this was. And he said, Is that why you've grown this mustache? He said, You sound less like Wolfman Jack and more like Sling Blade. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I think he, I actually. Uh-huh. Think, uh-huh. I think he was referring. Uh-huh. <laughs> don't do that. That really, we're alone down here and it makes me really uncomfortable. Grab a seat by my action figures. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I forget how Sling Blade. Jose always does an awesome Sling Blade thing. Jose does awesome everything. He's got good voices, man. You should work on your voices. He's a wonderful, You should warm be funnier. Man. I don't want to do Get, any can voices. Can you be funnier? Go I'm to funny I'm not going to be anything than what I am. All right. This is all I am at this age. Right. Can you explain your mustache to me? What, what is wrong with my what's, mustache? What's happening with your Last mustache? Last week I had a beard. Okay. And then one night I went home and I shaved off part of the beard and I decided I didn't like it. So I shaved off a little more of the beard and this is the result. Do, you, do your cats approve? Do they look at you and still recognize you? Do they, they know it it's you? They when we have our little cat special moments together. Oh, they like together. it. Okay. They get tickled. They think you're one of them now. They get a little mustache tickle. <laughs> you know what they say to me? They look at me. They're, they look at me. They're like, look how silly you are with your stupid hairless face. <laughs> you need to get some hair on your face. And you need to be more like us because we are hair faces and you are hairless on oh, your face. Man. You only have hair on the top of your head. I'm just grateful to have hair on the top of my head. I'm grateful that I can even grow hair on the underneath my nose. You like should this. just try to grow hair all over your face and then really just become like a cat person. I'm really hoping some shoulder hair comes in this year. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, so, some did come in recently. And it was, it's... So what have you been playing lately, my friend? Well, I've been playing a lot of uh, Devil May Cry. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And... Uh, I have, I've been back into games in a big way. I, I took, a, took break a break over the holidays. Yep. I played a little Angry Birds Star Wars. That's it. You made fun yeah. of me last week yeah, for I playing did. Angry Birds Star Wars. So that was our recap. That was our recap. And uh, and now, like, I, I, I go home and I have this, I don't know what, you know, it's like I've been starving for three I, weeks. I'll, and now I'll I can't, tell you something, man. I can't get enough games. Video games? Yeah. They are fucking awesome. They are. And, I, you know, and I worried for a little bit of time. And I'll be honest with you. And this sound, you know, I, I quit drinking a couple of years ago now. And I, and I started to think, you know, maybe I needed to drink to enjoy video games because I started looking at some of these things, you know, near the end of last year, I was really burned out. Yeah. I had it. I'd had a long year of gaming and playing a lot of shitty games, a lot of good games, but a lot of shitty games as yeah, well. Yeah. And I started to worry, maybe I've lost my mojo. Maybe I don't want to do this anymore. And then I got it back this week. I could play through 10 hours straight of Devil May Cry. Yeah. Loved it. All yeah. of a sudden I'm going through, I got, I took all of my games out of their game boxes and put them in those DVD sleeve books. And I'm going through the sleeve books and I'm playing like crazy now. I can't stop playing. I want to go back. I want to play. I started playing Vanquish again last night. I we all that need for those moments, hours. man. We all need them. We all we need, need to, breaks. we need to, to get away, go into the woods or something, and then come back to the, uh, the up, games. Yeah. And recognize how amazing they are. A journey into the soul. Totally. 
And then I come back to these things and, you know, they're crazy and the devil may cry thing. It's full of jerks and the story is not great. And it's the story of two brothers, really. And it's like I, I could give a shit. But the game itself, it's so fun and so yeah. compelling and I yeah. can't stop playing it. And I can't I want to see what's next. I want to see what the what the next weapon is. I want to see what the next area is. I want to see what how the story turns I out, agree. even though it's a shitty story. And I, I just keep playing this uh, thing. It's, it's the not best. so much a shitty story. It's a story that sort of fits into the canon of this crazy, you know, angel demon war. I mean, it's it fits. I think the games great, tell terrible stories. They though. did a, well. Video games have a long way to go to tell really amazing stories. But the you know? story is, I have a big fucking sword, yeah. and all these guys are going to die. Yeah, everybody's dead. <laughs> That's a good in story. some very very cool oh. and elaborate ways. Wow! And it's and it's I, just fun being I this hope. badass. You feel like a superhero when you play this game, you know. And I, I mean, obviously, I've got this uh, real. Uh, affinity for superheroes, I love them, and I think that I really groove on games that make me feel super heroic. You don't even need to feel like a superhero. I think might even you just feel like a hero. Yeah. And, I, and I tell you, like it's a, it's an experience that I don't get from from reading books or watching movies or even seeing TV shows because mm -hmm. I'm just those things are just washing over me. But I'll when I'm playing games, some there is a gear that my whole being kicks into. And I'm alive and I'm awake in a way that I'm not when I'm doing anything else. I'll tell you, I rediscovered Need for Speed Most Wanted because I got a new receiver over the break and I plugged everything in, got the HDMI all set up and everything, and everything looks clean and sounds amazing. Wanted to test out some software. I threw that in. I tried out the uh, the wheel that we got with Forza a little while ago. Threw the wheel away because that's just not Wheel's precise terrible. enough for Need for Speed. But holy shit, this game is just an incredible escape and i didn't appreciate it as much remember that's the one we reviewed in the uh in new york city when we were on the the, the horse and carriage thing but i didn't appreciate it as much then i think because we were inundated with stuff and it didn't feel as uh revolutionary as we've come to expect from criterion but now with the whole years of uh, of gaming behind us and lots of uh you know discussion around all of that stuff to just sort of you know again take that breath and then go back to this thing and rediscover it it's absolutely phenomenal it's such a great easy arcade escape so it isn't a revolution but it's just fun it's fun incarnate and i've just been having a blast and it it uh well, why not just go back it, and play it's just Burnout amazing paradise again yeah burnout paradise Club is incredible Angeles, as well but it doesn't or... look as good as this does i mean th this thing they're throwing it's, all it's kinds of spit and polish close. and dust on the screen and all Here's, kinds of cool effects you get a few particle effects what's the big deal i love it and the, other, the thing that i love the most out of it I is like i love busting through uh, ben silverman's uh, billboards because he's got a lot of the top scores on like my a friends list. of something i know right but he's got his he took a picture of his dog so it's a picture of his dog on all of his billboards so i just smash right through those things over and over again right. Love it. Your rivalry with Ben Silverman is in the nascent stages here in yeah, 2013. I, I really hope you guys ratchet it up this year and just go at it hammer and tongs. I love it. All hey, year long, Silverman. Lucas is coming for you. Well, Need for Speed does that. I, I, what are they going to do? Are they going to give us another Need for Speed now? Are we going to get Need for Speed on the uh, PlayStation 4 and, and the new know. Xbox? You know, the, like, sorry, I just fell asleep there. <laughs> I'm talking about hardware. Know. It does it every know. time. Yeah. I don't know. Did any of the CES hardware uh, I give you a stiffy? I haven't any of this stuff. What is no? going on? Is well, there anything going on? Yeah, there's You're a... Horny uh, for I just said, give you always. a stiffy. Uh, no, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm excited about this 4K handheld uh, NVIDIA uh, Android-powered Tegra 4 thing, which is probably going to cost a fortune. Uh, it's got a flip up five mm. uh, inch screen and you can use an HDMI port and plug it into a TV and it gives it, it can output to 4K resolution. So the graphics should be insane. 
Um, I'm also psyched about the Steam Box. They haven't really announced exactly what that is, but there's uh, this new thing called the Piston, which is kind of a, a taste of what the Steam Box could be. Um, and so that's going to be a challenge to directly to the Playstations and the Xboxes out there. Uh, the, the hardware's coming, man. I want Ooh, you... Yeah, starting to ship. People I, are starting to receive theirs. I do want it's you coming. to have your rivalry with Ben Silverman this year. I'm going to have a rivalry this year, too. That's who? who mine is with. Steve. Raju Mudar. Raju Mudar. I'm going to take that motherfucker down. He's, he's gunning for you, Raju. I love it. You hear what I hear? What is that? I think somebody's at the door. That's uh, the lo-fi Skype sound. Did you order right a there. pizza? <laughs> We have a very special guest down here in the basement today. It is Alex Jones. He's the senior producer on the new DMC. DMC, of course, is the acronym for Devil May Cry. And I guess that's really my first question for you, Alex, is why did you guys decide to leave out the E-V-I-L, (laughs) A-Y-R-Y? Buy buy another vowel. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, we had a, we did a, it was a kind of like a KFC thing, right? Uh, <laughs> no, I th- well, actually, technically, the game is DMC Devil May Cry, so we've, uh, we've got them both in there. Okay. But uh, we, since we'd internally shorthanded it at Capcom for years, uh, we decided to go with that as the main moniker this time. So for the rest of this uh, interview, do you mind if Vic and I refer to it as Dimka? Dimka. 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 Yeah. So what was it like yes, working no. on Dimka? <laughs> I love uh, onomatopoeias. Uh, <laughs> it was uh, yeah, it was a challenge. Like to be honest, it's a uh, you know it, it had been one of the <laughs> one of Capcom's you know tentpole franchises. So to have them come out to the uh, the guy Gene office and tell us that they wanted us to uh, help helm a Western oriented one was uh, exciting and and scary as hell at yeah. the same time. Why the hell did they do that? I mean, it had been working so well. Devil May Cry was a was a well, pretty big franchise. Was kind of shitty. Um, yeah, but yeah, well, I'm not gonna say shitty. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you can't say that. I can um, say that. it was. Yeah, you can say that. I, I actually four was solid. But it, <laughs> <laughs> you, you have a future in I, politics, Alex. <laughs> Well, I'm future at Capcom is what I'm hoping. <laughs> so why did Capcom decide that they needed the, the Gaijin uh, development on the game? Well, the, the point uh, where we were as a company was this idea of wanting to get more Western-centric and looking at some of the, our portfolio. DMC was one that had always had you know a lot of appeal to Western audiences, even though it still had, a, particularly in terms of presentation and story, a very Japanese feel to it. Uh, and because while four was was successful, it was clear if you looked at the arc of the franchise as a whole, it was starting to flatline a little. So rather than do a five based on four, which might be staying one hour too late at the party, everyone wanted to get aggressive and maybe do something that reinvigorated the franchise, maybe you know ahead of it becoming completely moribund the way a lot of publishers will just wait till they've completely smashed something into the ground. Right. We want to surf ahead of the curve. And do something, you know, a little risky prior to it becoming a dead horse. And I, so, you know, it, it, I thought it was actually pretty shrewd to try to get ahead of that as opposed to waiting until people voted with not buying your fifth one that uh, it was time to try something new. There's been some volatility with Capcom's decisions on uh, some of the developers that it's worked with, uh, you know, from a Western standpoint. Uh, yeah, obviously, we saw some uh, big challenges <laughs> with Dark uh, Void and Bionic Commando. Uh, you, you know, what, what happened with, uh, you know, choosing Ninja Theory? Why were they the right choice to pick up yeah. the reins? Well, 
you know, the uh, Heavenly Sword was certainly uh, one like a, one hell of a, a calling card. It was one of the first games that made the PS3 look like it was actually, you know, a year on from the Xbox in terms of technology. And then their core competencies as a studio, like they're great at storytelling. They've got a great character modeling, a very distinct world art style. And all of those things align with what a DMC game needs to do well. And we felt looking at the combat from Heavenly Sword and some of the stuff we were able to see on Enslaved by that point in time, that while they obviously weren't up to the Capcom standard at that point, with an infusion or an influx of, you know, having guys come over from Japan and provide, here's how we make combat games, here's how we do our combo systems, here's how... Here's how our philosophy of how we approach that and and even getting down to the nitty gritty of counting frames and put the hit stop here, that kind of stuff that we felt like they could they could get there with our assistance in terms of the responsiveness and the amazing combat and everything else. We wanted exactly what they did with some of their other games like they they have an amazing ability to tell stories in games. They they believe in trying to tell, you know, more than just simple stories. And they obviously have amazing technology when it comes to things like cutscenes, and they have an amazing in-house art team and some innovative design stuff outside of the combat sphere so yeah. they just were the right they had the right amalgam of skills and the areas in which one could say up in terms of capcom where they might be considered deficient by our standards we felt like they, we were absolutely going to be able to tutor them up to our our standard, and also a real you know uh, sort of proven affinity for three D action adventures. I mean, they they love absolutely. hack and slash, right? Yep, yep. So they were. I mean, we had auditioned or kicked the tires on a couple of developers, you know, uh, mm-hmm. three years ago or so when we started off. But it was pretty clear that uh, they were the, they, we didn't really seriously consider anyone else after we had given these guys a second look. And also, internally, they had a real reverence for the franchise. Like, it was a touchstone of Tamim's and a bunch of the other core creatives there. Wow. They loved it. They had respect for it. That was going to make it really easy to work with them. Now, one of the interesting things, uh, Alex, about Devil May Cry is that I always feel like, you know, from a Japanese standpoint, it's the Japanese way of sort of you know, articulating all the things that are cool about Western society and Western culture, but also I felt like it's their way of making fun of us as sure. well, because Dante, I mean, let's face it, he's a dick. I mean, he's not a nice guy at all. <laughs> he looks like a jerk. He acts like a jerk. He's mean towards women. He beats the crap out of everybody. His one-liners are awful. He's uh, more yeah. of a punk in this than a dick. But I, this He's, is, he's like it? leaning towards becoming a dick. He's going to be a dick in the next game. Yeah, okay. Dimka 2. Yeah. He's going he's to be such a huge dick. But the, I guess that's my question is, you know, in rebooting the series, you guys decided to preserve his jerk attitude. Tell me a little bit about the decision behind that. I mean, you could have made yeah. him a nice guy. You could have made him like Ryan Gosling from The Notebook. Right, yeah. Know, and you didn't. Yeah. Would have been terrible. I would have <laughs> played that game. <laughs> Dimka 3, maybe. Dimka Notebook. We can come back with the vow right after that. That would be equally as terrible. Uh, yeah, I, well, the whole ethic, I think not just as far as just Dante's personality, but the broad ethic of making the game was there are certain things that we felt we needed to update to come into more alignment with what contemporary tastes were. So obviously making the world a little more real and all that. When it came to Dante, you still want to update him in that same way, but you, there's an essence to that character that you just can't completely walk away from. A lot of people, obviously, as we found out, incredibly passionate and 
very sort of enduring way about wanting the exact Dante that they've had in the past. So in spite of what those guys think, we were mindful of that then as well. But so we wanted to recast that dickishness to make it more in line with the tone of the game we were making, which is clearly less campy and so more sardonic. Maybe the humor is more world weary and gallowsy. He's still got a streak of irreverence to him, but it's not camp irreverence, like you guys point out, too. It's it's an act more sardonic, I guess. Yeah, shit, it's a reboot. You guys needed to uh, kind of take a, a breath and, and refresh everything. And I, I think that uh, you've done an impossible thing in being able to appease longtime fans like Scott and I, but also bring in a whole new group of people, which was obviously the, the you know, the direction for this thing that was the reason why this was all set in motion to begin with did i say i was appeased did i use the word appeased you said you're very happy i like the you game. gave it a higher score than me i did yes I, I, vic actually gave the game an eight and i gave it an 8.5 so how do you like oh. that alex i'm uh you get to ask all the questions for the rest of the uh, right. <laughs> vic, vic has been i've been banished back burner now you guys did include in, you know in the original devil may cry i sound like such a nerd here yeah It'll be amazing if a woman ever actually loves me. Uh, but in the original Devil May Cry, there was a giant boss fight against a bird thing. And he says, yeah. flock off Featherface. One yes, of the classic does. Shakespearean lines from video game history, flock off Featherface. And you guys yes. managed to get a couple flocks in here as well. Uh, tell me about the decisions behind trying to include those flocks. Yeah, we uh, <laughs> yeah we are we we are plumbing the depths here. Um, there, we, I don't. I had this. There was a. We had an ethic of uh, no pun left behind, and, uh, and uh, I don't think we left a single opportunity on the table. I don't know if I'm proud of that, but uh, that is that we. There is no opportunity as you play the game where, in fact, there was one time we were reviewing the game. And we're, there's one boss battle, and I'm not going to spoil it, but the character was particularly unsightly. And I'm thinking, like, how did we not say that's a face only a mother could love? And just as I was thinking that, she said it. He says it. So <laughs> we, we uh, once again, right continuity. People do want to hear uh, a bon mot or two. And so hopefully we've, we've provided that. And not only do we have uh, flocks, we have the... The, the non-flock version of that for those who oh, yeah. like their like their punniness a little more uh, profane. Yeah, it's it's a tale of excesses. This game, which I, I think is the addiction. I mean, you just feel overwhelmed with all kinds of cool choice, combat-wise and and content-wise. Uh, tell me about the the development process, though, because you were the senior producer working out of California, and then you've got. Yep. Uh, uh, Japanese overseers over the entire uh, property, likely. Yep. And then you've also got this team in England. How the hell did you guys sort of synchronize watches and stay on the same page? Uh, actually, we basically brute forced it, which is to say we just went out there every month for yeah. about a week, yeah. sometimes longer. Yeah. And we do. We, had, we were on a monthly milestone schedule, and we would do a fine-tooth comb, white glove, insert your favorite metaphor for thoroughness here, uh, <laughs> inspection of the entire build to that point, give super detailed feedback, and we'd be there for four or five days. And then I have weekly calls with both Japan and with uh, Ninja Theory when we were not together. So Is, you know, is that we, a lesson learned from sort of letting the reins go a little bit too much on buying a commando and, and dark void? I mean, I, I know that that was there was a similar philosophy, I think, with uh, Dead Rising 
uh, two, uh, where there was a little bit more sort of Osaka Capcom involvement in the development of this yeah. game. Is that the way to do this, is to be well, there as much as you can? Uh, yes. I mean, the short answer is yeah. There's just no substitute for face-to-face -face communication when it comes to stuff. Things get lost over email. They certainly get lost in translation over three languages and sure, two yeah. time, zone, yeah. time zones. So the only way to actually make sure that you're going to get through what you need to is to all have the discussion in the same room. I can't speak for, you know, the other uh, projects that weren't perceived to have gone as well, yeah. uh, well or objectively didn't go as well at this point, to be honest, um, because I do think that there's obviously also, you know, I would just say, look, Ninja Theory is an amazing developer. Like, just left to their own devices, they wouldn't make a game that was bad. So our involvement was only going to be additive to what was already going to be a fairly, you know, high quality baseline anyway. Like, right. I, you know, the most frustrating thing, usually if you're an external developer, at some point you're trying to drag a developer to finish the game up to an acceptable quality bar so you can finish it. And the developer is kind of fighting you because they want to get out and just start working on the next thing. Yep. Here, you have to pry the game out of Andrew Theory's cold, dead hands. Because you can feel that, man. To you can feel yeah. that when you're playing the game. You can feel like they were working on this thing like crazy right up until the bitter end. No, I mean, look, now I can be, you know, sort of philosophical and, and lighthearted about it. But at the time, like, you would get really angry when they're just putting stuff in at the last minute. Let's stop doing that, man. We need to put this thing in a box. So, but, you know, in retrospect, it's the only sort of developers I'd want to work with now. Like, the, the amount of pride they take in their, their authorship is, you know, just not anything that I've experienced working in XDev before. Awesome. Uh, when I worked on internal teams, I, we, I had teams that had that ethic. But this was, I mean, those, I would love to just work with those dudes forever. They're, they're great. That's amazing. You know, Alex, one of the things I noticed while playing the game, and maybe this is a testament to exactly what you're talking about, is there, there's no shortage of new toys to play with over the course of this game. You guys are constantly rolling out new weapons. I don't want to give anything away, but they just seem to get crazier. Every and level. Wilder. Yeah, every level. And, I, and you know, I just start getting into a groove with a weapon before suddenly, you know, you're rolling out something new. Try this out. Try this out. Here's this. Here's that. Um, almost to the yep. point where I felt like it, it, it was, and I know this is the name of the game, it was almost to the point of being overkill at different points. Um, tell me a little bit about the thought <laughs> process behind just giving me, you know, just this overwhelming amount of toys uh, to play with, and also, you know, maybe were there any toys or any weapons that were just deemed too crazy or too over the top for inclusion in the game? Um, mostly we trimmed for not reasons of craziness. Like, it would be hard to say, oh, that's too over the top for our game. Like, but it's just not really uh, a sensibility that we brought to it. Like, we, were, we wanted it to be at least in terms of the combos and the combat and the weapons, you know, as, as, as out there as we thought we could be. So nothing got cut because, oh, that's, that's just, that's too ultra or anything. It was, it was largely a consequence of, you know, you guys know you make a fighting game balancing and any new addition has an exponential effect downstream on everything else. So largely we trimmed to the point at which we could sustain everything and balance everything. So there were some weapons that ended up on the cutting room floor as all games end up cutting stuff, but it wasn't because we didn't think they tonally worked or they were too out there. It was literally because, you know, you need to manage a tree and make sure that you can do everything to the highest possible level of polish. And we, we trimmed to the point at which we were able to do the maximum amount of polish on everything that we were going to put in the game. 
Is there like an overseer for Devil May Cry now? Like, a, like the auteur, the, the this, yeah, the person that's sort of in charge of where the franchise goes, like there the, has well, been in the past. There, I mean, I guess informally, there's no sort of designated. You are now the Don of DMC guy. There is uh, a gentleman, uh, Hideaki Tsuno who was the lead creative on uh, 2, 3, and 4, mm-hmm. uh, who, who was the, uh, the gentleman that I worked most closely with in terms of the creative massaging of the game. And if anyone is the keeper of the uh, DMC DNA, it, it is him. And he was integral. Like, basically, the game wouldn't be as good as it was if he weren't involved in it and gave us his counsel and sometimes his demands and gave... Ninja, the parameters that they were going to be able to work in, and he was, I thought, amazing in terms of, look, I'm going to squat on you guys really hard in these areas, which is basically combat, Dante's responsiveness, the redesign of Dante's look, and then there's a bunch of areas into which I know you guys are amazing, so I'm not going to bother you at all. Explore the space. You have as much rope as you need, and... um, you know, that's huge because this was to the extent that this is anybody's baby in Capcom now, it's his baby. He'd worked on the last three. And I thought he was incredibly, you know, large of spirit in letting these other guys roam around his room and rearrange the furniture and hey, yeah. what do you say we make Dante have Angel too? And he's he was he was as supportive as I think you can be in that circumstance. So yeah, I mean that that's it. I, as far as the ongoing franchise direction, I there is no designated guy but i wouldn't want to work on dmc games if i were going to without his input awesome is that kind of a, a sort of philosophical shift at capcom are you seeing because obviously there's been some high profile departures over the last few <laughs> years but also the industry is changing and you guys are uh, you know sort of uh, representational of this uh, global sort of collaborative shift that's happening with development happening in different centers um, yep. you know you guys are doing that again and again and again does that sort of replace the idea of there being like a godfather uh, for these properties? Um, well, like, I guess what I'd say is, well, in the case of Itsuno-san, he has this, he had the overarching big picture view yeah. for this version of DMC. However, the auteur of our game was probably Tamim, who is the creative director on this version of the title. Yeah. And I think that's what it is. Like, we'll have auteurs who are the guy on this particular version of this game and then obviously someone else to the extent that it's required is the person who's there to make sure that it harmonizes with whatever the existing canon is right. or the long-range goals of the franchise if, if such thing exists um, but we really took our mission as look let, let's not worry about sequels or anything let's make the best version of DMC we're capable of making and let everything else take care of itself once the game is on a shelf. Yeah. And so we really just kind of backed up the truck and let everything out. Like, we didn't think about this was one step in a three-step. Like, no, the, our goal is to make the best damn DMC game we can make and, and not worry about what's on the other side of that. And so that's, that's how we approached it. You know, Alex, one of the reasons why I'm so fond of Dante and I'm so fond of the Devil May Cry series is I feel like I kind of came into the business when Dante came around in the mm. early 2000s and 2001. In fact, one of my first 
uh, game meetings ever in a hotel room in New York was with Capcom. You remember Matt Atwood? Yeah, remember of course. He worked at Bioware yeah. for a long time. I don't yeah. know where he is now. Yeah. But I remember sitting with him and he was showing me this game. And he, in fact, he was showing me the Flockoff Featherface <laughs> boss battle. And that was just such a seminal moment and, and really defined who I am as a, as a game critic and, and, you know, really sort of opened up this career path for me. And I'm very grateful for that. Um, but we live now in a post-God of War world and, yep. uh, and, you know, I, I don't think God of War and what David Jaffe and his team accomplished with that game in 2005 would exist if not, you know, if Dante didn't exist in 2001. Um, but now, you know, God of War has obviously become, you know, this huge juggernaut of a franchise. Uh, did yep. you guys feel, you know, pressure to sort of, you know, with the reboot, take the game to the next level and, uh, you know, sort of put Kratos in his place? Um, so yes and no, right? Like anytime you, you can't make a game just like I think you couldn't have made a game after 2001 in this genre without, cause basically Dante created that genre, but yeah. you couldn't have made a game between 2001 and 2005 in that genre without saying you're acknowledging Devil May Cry in that and knowing that on some level there's a, a bar or whether it be in terms of fluidity or production values or whatever sort of variable you're talking about in games that you need to be mindful of. Um, yeah, I mean, they're, they were in the background the way, in the same way to lesser degrees that Bayonetta or Ninja Gaiden or any of the games that have been known to have been strong entrants in that genre, as That's well as an just... an exclusive club you've just outlined right there, my friend. Yes. Yeah, it is yeah. a pretty exclusive club. And we're super proud that we made that club even possible. Yeah. Um, so at the final analysis, though, we're trying to live up to our standard, which is we created this genre. We want to... Yeah, you know, own it again to some degree. We want to absolutely compete on every level that you can compete with with uh, God of War. It's it's a it's a great game. I've I've, I've played them all. Um, but in terms of them, you know, you know like having a <laughs> have a David Jaffe poster with a target on it that we looked at when we were in the <laughs> room, tashing out what to do next. No, not like that. But you're just aware of what's good that's out there, right? And yeah. knowing that even if you create something, this industry doesn't stand still. There's always someone attempting to better you. And, you know, I could go on throwing cliches out in that vein. But, yeah, the, the short answer is, yeah, we're aware of them. But, no, we, they weren't like the – we didn't have a crosshairs on them. We weren't like, we absolutely need to look at God of War 3 and find our way to crib this. We, we didn't do what, uh, you know, what Uncharted does with Tomb Raider. So Kratos versus Dante, who wins? Don't think about it. Dante. Okay. <laughs> Dante. Well, let me ask you this. Who has more threesomes, Dante or Kratos? Uh, you know what? That's I'm probably uh, even. That's even. to pick them. That's yeah. a, that's a pick him. Yeah, I think we're on par. Now, you've mentioned Tamim, who directed, uh, you're from Ninja Theory, who directed the game. Uh, and, you know, if you look back at the history of God of War games, each God of War game has only well, only one person has directed each installment before they were killed yeah. by it. Has has this killed Tamim? Do you think he, he has the stuff? He has anything <laughs> left in his tank to give us, uh, you know, a double a DMC two? Um, we are not easy to work with. Like I will freely acknowledge that we are we are anal retentive, incredibly precise, super demanding and exacting, and um, and occasionally a little fanciful in how we change our minds, but. Uh, I'd like to think he has another one left in the tank because at the end of the day, and I, like, I'll go back to this, seriously, their, their desire to make sure that this was as good as it was was absolutely equal to our own desire. Like We were surprised. Like I'd go in thinking 
man, they are going to hate all this feedback we're going to give them. They're going to freak out and they'd be like, yeah. Oh, by the way. And we have our own list of stuff that we want to do on top of this. So I, I would surmise to me probably has plenty in the tank. That guy is pretty exacting and incredibly, uh, you know, um, he does, he doesn't want anything getting out that he doesn't think is perfect. Like he's, as a producer, you can be you can, you can be really annoyed by that guy sometimes. But in the final analysis, you're glad that there is someone that's giving you that counterpoint of no, no, it needs to be as good as it needs to be. Now I know I'm, I'm kind of a you know a video game savant. I'm very good at video games, uh, but I am not. The Devil May Cry games have traditionally kicked my ass up uptown and downtown. This one didn't though. This one felt like it was a yeah. little easier i felt like when i was you know pulling off my combos i was getting a lot of s and double yep. s and triple s ratings you guys obviously are going for a wider audience here tell, tell me a little bit about the decision behind making the game a little more accessible than previous games in the series so first i'd ask like what difficulty level you weren't playing on nephilim then i'm no. assuming normal no. we're okay. both on normal okay yeah. you're both on normal so i think what we started off with was this idea that we probably did want the normal level to maybe be a skosh easier, knowing that, look, you can always make it more difficult for the players who want, let's say, the non-special edition three level challenge, if that's what they want. Right. Um, it's uh, So I think what we, we had this idea of making the game excessively skill-based. Like what we didn't want to do is make something that was so complex that only, you know, guys like, you know, to show up at Evo tournaments, could play the game and triple S it and get the most out of it. Right, right. But we also didn't want, we, and we, and we wanted people to have a genuine sense of accomplishment and not have something where, and I played Devil May Cry 4, I gotta be honest with you, like I played half the game in automatic mode at some point because I just, I'm not as digitally dexterous as you need to be to I'm, really I'm not get really every good either. Out. I'm just persistent. Like I'll just keep going at it until ah. I get it. These are the games that speak to you. You love That's all that stuff. Yeah, me, me too. I love this stuff too. Yeah, see, I, I'm a well, I, you know, not that not that I have a, a robust life outside of work, but I, you know, kids inside. At some point, I just have to like acknowledge that I need to get to the end of this game. So yeah, I, hear you. I, 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 I put it in automatic mode. <laughs> what I, can, I did, want, I could only lose to this boss twenty times in a row before yeah, I have to go exactly. kiss my baby. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, <laughs> or feed her. Yeah, um, feed my baby. Um, so at some point. Uh, we wanted to not make people feel like they weren't good enough so that they opted for automatic mode, but we absolutely the whole time were super mindful of not wanting to alienate the hardcore players who absolutely want that challenge and then that corresponding sense of accomplishment once they've bested it. So for the super hardcore players, I'd say dude, start in Nephilim and I don't believe that your experience is going to be any less harder or soul pulverizingly difficult than it was in any previous DMC. But for normal human beings, or even the people who are just under super hardcore, if you play in normal, I do think that you will still find it maybe a little easier than, like, say, uh, DMC three special edition, maybe it was even. Definitely easier. Yeah. But it will. But it's not. It doesn't feel like a cakewalk that you're just breezing through, such that no. you have no sense of accomplishment once you've beaten it. No, I'd get through a boss fight and then I would think, oh, well, that's it for that boss. Yeah. We will see you later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's talk a little bit about the uh, the haters out there, man, because I know that you guys okay. have gone through a whole uh, gauntlet Favorite. of uh, different people sort of uh, being pissed off about the new look of Dante and stuff. Now that the game has started to appear at things like Comic-Con and E3 and uh, some of the public has gotten their hands on it and tasted this thing a little bit, is that sort of backing off or are you feeling a little bit more acceptance to the younger Dante? I think that 
um, since actually I'd say since GamesCon last year, where we first showed something that just wasn't a trailer, there's been a slow but gradual uptick in positivity, and it's been su- it was super slow for the first six months, and since we've gotten say through E3 and um, TGS and uh, specifically. It's been, and now the demo's out, it's been a lot, like a lot, a lot has changed. I got to tell you, Alex, when I saw this thing, and Jen, you took me to my demo at E3, I hated this game. I was just like, I hate this new Dante. I love it. At Devil E3? Pro- yeah, I hated this it. This past E3? Yeah, I hated it. I, I just decided so you, I didn't want anything to do with this. Okay. Now, in retrospect, you, I realized I was wrong. Wow. That, that You were almost one of the dead enders then. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> If, uh, if you were still uh, dubious as as of E3, because at that point, a lot of people were coming up to me. Like E3 was the point at which I can remember lots of guys coming through the booth and going, you know what? I was a forum ranter and now I'm not like I'll I'll go out there and tell these people that they don't know what they're talking about. And I think that while I think we've turned it around substantially to the point where I don't worry that this is going to have a meaningful impact on sales, I, I, I do think that there is still like a hardcore contingent and irreducible amount of the unconvincible out there. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. Like, I, I, you know, I understand uh, people don't want change in some instances. People didn't and, want James Bond to have blonde hair, man. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I think that, or you know, I had a friend who was a Trekkie who to this day won't see the JJ Abrams version, even though oh. it has things that like plot and consistent characters and things that <laughs> start people, fans of narrative in general, should yeah. probably um, so you just there's always going to be that last sort of rear guard action of people who just aren't refused to buy in. And that that's cool. But I do believe that we've gotten that down to a fairly obviously vocal minimum. But I, I don't it's not where we were a year ago where obviously it was not what we would have wanted at that point. Is there going to be a Wii U version of this? Um, there are no plans as of yet for uh, Wii U stuff, um, but we are constantly evaluating. And you guys did a killer port of uh, Street Fighter Cross Tekken on the Vita. This would be, it, it would sing on the Vita, this thing. Is, there, is it coming to that? Uh, I don't want this on the Vita. There are no for? exact plans, but um, there's, there's always discussions. So no, no, nothing now, but a, a, any, any platform that takes off and becomes viable from our standpoint then becomes a legitimate target for us but at, at this point no where are the biggest fans for uh devil may cry and dante in the right world? right here sitting right here well Me. besides scott yeah. and myself right here where are they yeah uh, we're in the uh, world they are in uh barstow cal no, I, don't, I, I do not uh like what's the I, biggest territory for the for the franchise and his like oh, historically I, well I think just in terms of sheer numbers, it's probably the states. In terms of like per capita, probably Japan. Actually, I think the series has done incredibly well in Japan over the years. So, how and, are Japanese gamers looking at this English-made Dante? Um, they were so they started off skeptical, but not raving and ranting, like not aggro the way the people who are the hardcore here over. I think they were taking a more pronounced, well, let's just wait and see attitude. Right. The casts have been great. Uh, and I think that we're going to end up selling very well in Japan, and I think that they are open-minded, and, and we got a massively positive response uh, the last two TGSs. Like, uh, we did, I had to do a, a, a stage thing uh, where I spoke English to them for some reason, and uh, there were tons of them, uh, tons of Japanese consumers who were really excited about the game. Awesome. And uh, Yeah, so I think we'll do well. You're Actually, it really has an almost... 
like universal appeal. I, I, just as I'm saying this, I remember I had a lot of people come up to me at the um, Gamers Expo thing uh, in in Europe this year, where it was so it's pretty universally popular. I'd say that the the American fans are probably the most aggro when you first. <laughs> <laughs> well, people have nothing to worry about. It's a terrific game, and and it's an amazing gift to have at the beginning of a new year. You know, did and, uh, did you guys do any research in the name of creating the game? Did you have to visit any uh, <laughs> any strip clubs? We uh, quote unquote research. Yeah, no, right? Did you visit <laughs> any? Uh, Urban, right. urban settings where there were cameras up in the buildings that were shaped like demon eyes? Unfortunately, here's what I'm going to say about that and people who make video games. You don't need to do a lot of uh, <laughs> research into those areas. Did you go to There's any office a, buildings? Mostly, <laughs> pretty good storehouse of just personal experience to leverage when doing things like that. Uh, I see. So I think... We were all covered there. There was no need for anyone to take a, a separate trip out just for quote unquote research. It's a single player game and you've got some extras and stuff that you can unlock and, and uh, all kinds of goodies to kind of um, uh, sort of tack into the game as, as you uh, get better at it. Do you guys already have a DLC strategy, any kind of plan for more levels or extensions to the experience? Um, we're we're. Thinking on some stuff, we're not a hundred percent certain, but uh, yeah, I think that obviously that tends to be something that most games tend to do. We're not ready to talk about anything, but we've been kicking some ideas around. Did you reward Tamim for his uh, excellent work after the game has shipped? Did you send him on a cruise? Uh, send him to a strip club. That's uh, he's uh, he's getting married, man. There's no no strip clubs in his future, at least until he you know is married for about seven or eight years, probably. What kind of marital plan is this? this is, we've shifted into very personal discussion about Tabim now. This is nice. No, and, and right, though, thank wife. you for releasing this in January because, you know, this is... It's, it's a g- great start, man. In yeah. the right way, you know. Like, I played this thing obsessively. I couldn't put it down. I want to go play it again on the Nifrim level difficult. Why couldn't you just call it super hard or something? you got to make <laughs> up this stupid guy. It's Nifflum. It's thematically appropriate. That was a, that's a Tamim thing. What is it? It's very keen on having it seem like, I'm not playing in hard mode, I'm playing in Nephilim mode. Nephilim mode. That was way more impressive. Bring him back Nephilim. I want to get a yeah. dog and name him Nephilim. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, man. Thanks, Alex. Yeah, no problem. Thanks man. for an great. awesome game. Keep on keeping on. Yeah, and, uh, you know, come here first when you guys are ready to announce DMC2, all right? Uh, book it. You know, I wasn't prepared for how cool Alex was going to be. That guy is a cool. smart dude, had smart things to say, passionate about his game, passionate about the team that he Very worked with. Very articulate. How about this Capcom relationship that they're building with developers in different cities like I like this? this bridge to the West that they've been working fantastic. on for a couple of years. I love Dead Rising 2. I thought they did a, you know, they did a great job working with Blue Castle. Blue Ca- in fact, Blue Castle ended up becoming Capcom, Capcom Vancouver. Vancouver. Yeah, and I wonder if uh, Ninja, Ninja Theory... Theory would be Capcom UK. I mean... Who knows? Kind of makes sense. I mean, this, this is thing how you grow, well. and this is how you grow and build a global brand. I yeah. think. I think it's it's very smart. You know, I liked I like DMC an awful lot. It's not even about building a global brand. It's that the consumers are global. It's that the 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 gamers are everywhere. Mm-hmm. If you want to get your game everywhere, if you want it to appeal everywhere, you have to think that way in the development of it. And 
And the biggest titles are doing that. You know know? what this is? This is a deeper, richer, darker, more mature Devil May Cry than we've ever seen before. And it's really a testament to the the pedigree behind uh, Ninja Theory. Some very smart people over there. Some people who... No, you know, know what to do with this, have an idea of where to take this franchise. And, yeah. I, and I like their ideas. Me too. I really do. And I, I think, uh, you know, like we say often when we see games of this caliber, it's, it's uh, if you're a hardcore gamer, yeah, it's a little bit more money. Uh, but if you want to see these companies survive and thrive and, and go on to stay together to build more cool entertainment like this, you got to get out there and support them. And this, this is one that we rated high enough that people should pay attention this to. This game you know? is worth Sixty dollars. Yep. This game is worth seventy dollars, and you know, I mean, that's one thing. And I, I want to even with Emo Dante, he's it's he's still a badass. I like he's him. Still you know, cool. by the end of the game, I, I like I him. I want to get my hair cut like him. I still think Virgil is the coolest, though. Virgil's he wears a hat. His brother, well, he takes it off eventually, and he yeah. has this beautiful hair. Yeah. Why doesn't my hair do that? Why is my hair all fucked up? You get too much gel in it. My dad one time said it looked like a bear licked me. That's what he said. My hair looked like my dad's kind of, he's a poet like that. Uh, but you know, I, I want us to talk about these titles and we've talked about that. We were talking about this too, with platinum games, with games like Bayonetta and Vanquish. Yeah. These games that, that are awesome that nobody played. And this is the mystery I want solved in 2013. Why right. are people not playing these incredible games? There's too much. Not really. I mean, that's the short right now, answer. There's not too much. There's too much. There's too many like iPads and it's iPhones year, and, and TV is better and movies are. You see the, the box office results from last year. Not only are the numbers up, but there are actually more bums in seats. People are going to the theaters again. Never use the word bums again. Well, that's that's what they say. It's, it's, it's not, the technical it's not, term. It's not, it's not PC. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm telling I'm you, I'm not calling you, people bums. I'm talking your, about their bums. If you call yourself a gamer. These yeah. are the games you have to. Let's come up with a list. If you call maybe yourself a gamer, don't want it, maybe that's the root right there. Maybe people don't want to be called gamers. Maybe well, okay. gamer is too constrictive right. of a word. What's the maybe, word? It, maybe it's, a, it's kind of a yeah nephilim. Maybe if you call yourself all, a nephilim. If if you call yourself nephilim. Spend 60 bucks on Devil May Cry. For Pete's sake, go out and do it. <laughs> it is worth it. All right, that wraps us up for this week. Thank Stitcher! you for listening. Yeah, Scott, just wanted to remind you that we're available on Stitcher. We're also on iTunes. We're at VixBasement.com. Uh, we've got a Twitter account, a Facebook account. What the fuck else could we get? We need Can, a porno show We need here. a Pinterest. We what the Pinterest. hell is... First all of right. all, we need somebody to explain to us what Pinterest is, and we'll get one of those you things. You know what it is. Don't no, pretend. I, don't. I know I, you're putting I, pins in everything. I, I don't. Yeah, you put a pin over there okay. and over there. All right. All right. Well, we'll see you next week, everybody. Thanks got, for listening. Sorry I got weird at the end.